Um, if you anticipate the right things and you prepare in the right way, I think it equals joy. So anticipating Christmas, like in case you didn't realize that there's 19 days left to shop for Christmas, okay? And hang on a second, um, add five, 24 for my birthday in case you're keeping track. Um, but I was, Michelle, my wife, was texting a friend saying, hey, do you want to go to certain store that will need to remain nameless because our kids are really into finding presents right now. So, hey, do you want to go to a certain store um, to shop? And, and she's like, oh, yeah, I anticipated that they were going to be sold out, so I ordered online two months ago. But have fun at the store. Um, anticipation plus preparation. S sometimes some people's Christmas isn't so much about anticipating Christmas, but it's about anticipating Black Friday. So I was reading about this couple who anticipates Black Friday so much that on Wednesday night, they start the turkey, um, get it going, go to bed, wake up, get everything prepared, and then they leave and go to a certain electronic store like, say, Best Buy, or for example, and they sit at Best Buy at noon, and they come prepared. They have tents, they have propane heaters, they have sleeping bags, they have tables and chairs, and they bring Thanksgiving dinner to eat on the sidewalk. I mean, that's, that's some preparation. And they're like, they invite their kids to show up at the sidewalk of Best Buy to eat Thanksgiving dinner. Now, not for me, but, you know, I'm not judging. Anticipation. Uh, it's college finals if you're, if you're in that realm, which... If you don't anticipate these things, they're dreadful. Like, you can, you can, a bad day can cause your grade to go down two grade levels. But just like a so-so, you know, to, to moderately good grade can just maybe move you up a half a grade. So there is some major, major preparation needed for college finals. Anniversaries. Very important to anticipate anniversaries. Um, you don't want to not prepare for anniversaries. We'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, golden birthday, maybe that's not a big deal to you when, when the birthday of your month and your age equal the same thing. Well, my sister's was February 7th, and so when she was seven years old, she's, my parents are like, oh, it's your golden birthday, and they, they didn't get her a pony, but they got her like an extra big cake or something like that, and so by the time I was 10 or 11 years old, I was just hyped about this golden birthday thing. The only problem was my birthday's not until the 30th, so I had to wait like 20 more years for this day. I kept anticipating, anticipating. There's not a lot of preparation that you can do for your golden birthday, but it was, it was quite fun to anticipate. I don't think anticipation always causes preparation. I don't think anticipation always leads to preparation. So in the story we're going to look at today, Herod is this king, and he's called the king of Jerusalem. He calls himself the king of the Jews, although that's a title he kind of self-appointed on him. And, and he talked his way into the kingship under Caesar Augustus, who's the Roman Empire. So as we look at this, Let's figure out this idea of what preparation, anticipation, and preparation, how that could equal joy. So in Matthew chapter 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So if you haven't heard of magi before, which I hadn't, 
They're, they're named to describe wise men or astrologers. They're possibly scientists. And they discover this new star, which began like this furious study of scientific um, things, ast- astrological things, I think even religious things. They wanted to know if it meant anything. Why, why is this new star here? Where did it come from? What do, these, what do these prophets say? What do the scholars say? What do the scientists say? Why did it come up? They're, from all we know, they're not Jewish, but they began to study this, preparing, preparing, preparing. It, it continues, verse 2. About this time, when the wise men came, they asked King Herod, where is the one who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, and and get this, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So Herod knew something, like who has been born king of the Jews That was a definition for Messiah. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? The religious leaders reply, in Bethlehem, in Judea. For the prophets wrote, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, now don't you think it should say like, and you will not be the least among these cities for a ruler who will come from you who will be king of my people Israel. Like, that should be the word there, but instead it's shepherd. We'll come back to why later. So then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem, search for the child, and when you have found him, come back, tell me, so that I can worship him too. So this idea of anticipation, plus preparation. Now, Herod, I don't think he was prepared. I mean, he, he may have anticipated this day, but he wasn't prepared. I mean, Herod killed three of his own sons and two of his wives because he anticipated that they were going to try and take the kingdom away from him. So he just takes them out. He's a little bit paranoid, um, but he was not born king of the Jews. He, like, convinced his way into power. So he, he always anticipated there might come this person someday who'd been born king of the Jews, and he knew that title was reserved for this Messiah, this person that was going to save Israel. So he didn't have a lot of joy at that moment. He, didn't, he wasn't prepared, which is why I think that he called the religious leaders because he didn't know what was going on. Now, the religious leaders, they were prepared. I don't think they anticipated, but they were prepared. I mean, the religious leaders said, oh, yeah, in, in Bethlehem. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Oh, Bethlehem. Got off the top of my head. In fact, we can, like, open to one of the prophecies right here. We got it. Okay, so they're prepared. They rattle off the answer, but they haven't done anything to either see the times, find the king. I mean, just nothing. And I thought about why. Why would they have not anticipated? Why would they have only prepared? I think maybe part of it's because they haven't seen a Jewish king in the throne of Israel. Israel hasn't had a king or a throne in, in 600 years. Um, 
God establishes his people, a little history of where this came from, why, why shepherd is so important. He establishes his people through Moses. Uh, Moses is this prophet. They're slaves in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. They go into the wilderness. They spend a little time in the wilderness. He takes them into the promised land. Moses doesn't get to go with them, but this other guy Joshua does, and they inherit the land. And, and God even says, you know, someday you're going to have a king. And when you have a king, make sure that he follows me. Make sure that he teaches the people about how they're supposed to live. Make sure that he doesn't, like, gather a whole bunch of armies. I'll be their warrior. I'll give them this land, and I'll protect them in this land. In fact, when you put the right king on the throne, I'll give you peace in the land. Not just absence of conflict, but peace. The Hebrew word shalom. It will be well with our kingdom, and it will be well with our country. And that actually happened when a man named David came to the throne. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, chapter 7, you can read about where when David was put on the throne, God said, I will establish you as my king and you will shepherd my people. David was like the greatest king. It was, it was the glory days for these people. Like when the Vikings are doing really well for, for the few Vikings fans that are left out there, I guess you can buy a ticket for $18. But you know, in the, in the glory days, those four or five seasons that the Vikings have had, when they're in the glory days, I mean, you just walk a little taller. Your friends that are Green Bay Packers fans seem a little smaller. I mean, we love them, but they just, and, and then, you know, we have a, a season like this year. I know. It's okay. Sorry. Just have a moment there. Well, it was kind of like that for the people of Israel. When, when David was on the throne, not only did they feel like they were in the glory days, but God gave them peace in the land. He truly led the people to follow God, and he was called the shepherd king. So this, this word, this prophecy, who will be the shepherd for my people, all the Jews would have said, Ooh, 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 he's talking about the Messiah because he's going to come from David. I remember when it was so great with David. Well, I don't personally remember, but I remember the stories about how it was so great with David. And we've, we've never really had that again. I mean, we kind of had it with his first, you know, when Solomon, his son, was on the throne, but then his son got on the throne, and then the whole kingdom divided, and then, you know, bad king after bad king after bad king until, like, the empire of Assyria came over and stomped us down and put like 10 of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Egypt or of Israel, like the kingdom split and then Assyria comes over and takes out one of the kingdoms and so they're in exile. And then a couple hundred years later, then Babylon comes over Assyria and then Babylon takes the southern kingdom and brings them into exile. Okay, so think back to the first song we just listen, or sung, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to ransom captive Israel. That song, very, I mean, some rendition of that very likely could have been sung in this time where these, these people, God's people, were in this exiled place. We're in this place where they didn't feel like they had any hope, where they didn't, absolutely didn't have a king, where they were just like bullied over on top of these, you know, Assyria and then Babylon and then Persia, they conquered. And so now Persia's over top of them and they're still in captivity. They're still in exile. And what kind of anticipation is happening? 
I mean, God said that, that David, that one that came from David would establish his throne forever. So they're thinking, there's no captivity when God establishes his throne forever, and he's definitely not here. And then Persia actually lets some of them come back, so they kind of get to rebuild. And then the Greek empire conquers the Persian empire, and so now they're oppressed again. And then there's little squabbles that I won't get into, and then the Roman empire crushes the Greek empire, and so now the Roman empire is on top of Israel. And now this guy Herod has been slotted in and he calls himself king of the Jews even though he's not a king. So all the people resent him. But, and there is a point to all this, I promise. It's not just a good history lesson. But about 30 years before Christ, the Roman emperor issued this decree called Pax Romana. Absence of conflict. They called it Roman peace. Really, it was the absence of conflict. Because anytime somebody tried to stand up or do anything, they just kind of got squashed. But there was no war in the area. So as this false king, Herod, the illegitimate king of the Jews, is sitting on the throne, technically they have some peace. So is that why the religious people are just like, well, it's not great, but it's okay. Like maybe I'm not anticipating this king of the Jews, because like, well, we do have peace. We do kind of get to do our own little thing here. And as long as we stay out of the way of this Herod guy, he, he is trying to get us on his good side. So maybe it's okay. Some of you feel like you live your life that way. Like, I know I do. Like, oh, oh, that person's upset with me? Well, if I just stay out of their way, <laughs> we'll avoid any conflict. We'll have an, we'll have an an absence of conflict, but we won't really have peace. And if, if I just kind of stay out of this thing's, you know, this person's way or, or this thing, this boss's way, then, then I'll be okay. It won't be great, but it'll be okay. Some of us have, have times where we could say we don't, we don't have joy in our life right now. Um, and, and it's because, you know, X happened. Somebody got shipped off. Somebody's marriage is in shattered pieces um but there's like this little upswing of hope so we like oh it's okay it's not great but it's okay and so i i think the maybe the religious leaders have just kind of maybe they've just given up and they're like well i have this little piece it's okay now the text says that the people were troubled too it says herod was greatly ast- disturbed and all the people of Jerusalem with him. Well, I don't think they were really prepared either because they didn't really understand this idea of king. And now with this Roman peace in the land, I think they, alongside the religious leaders, were like, eh, well, it's not great, but it's, it's better than we've had for a while. I think sometimes we get that in our lives. First of all, we think like our spiritual life is separate from the rest of our life. And so when a little bit of good happens, we're like, well, it's not great, but it's okay. Or you ask someone how they're doing, and they're like, well, okay, it's better than last week. And, and sometimes I think, well, better than last week's okay. But is that really what God intended for us? Is that really how he wants us to live? Does he want us to just live, well, okay. Absence of conflict, okay. 
this, this idea of anticipation and preparation really comes out in, in more of the book than the movie, because um, the movie just kind of skims over this place um, that I'm going to talk about in a second. But in the book, the Chronicles, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, this king named Caspian goes on this voyage to like find his dad's seven friends who've been kind of lost at sea, if you will. And so Narnia is the country, and Narnia has these territories. One of the territories is the Lone Islands. It's kind of like Puerto Rico to us. Like, well, yeah, they're a territory, but, mm, you know, that's a little ways to get there, and especially if they had to go by boat, and they don't really speak English, and, uh, well, we kind of claim them, we kind of don't. And if you've ever been to Puerto Rico, and you've ever, like, tried to drive there, you'll find out that they really don't identify themselves too much with the United States. Like, those little painted lines on the road, like the solid white line that you're not supposed to cross, or the solid yellow line you're not supposed to cross, and the dotted line in the middle that you're kind of supposed to be aware of. It's like they didn't even have to be there. We were driving there, and there was two lanes of traffic, but it was rush hour, so there were five cars wide from shoulder to shoulder, just driving. And then if that wasn't enough, there was an SUV that like get up, got, up, got up on the curb, drove over the grass to get around some people, to get on one of the... And, and signs when they fall down in, in the United States, we have like the Department of Transportation. And so we put those signs back up when they have a natural disaster. Somebody comes by and vandalizes them. In Puerto Rico, you know, if a sign blows down, it's just, well... Okay, so we were there for five days, and, and there was a horse that died on the side of the road. Rigor mortis had set in, and so its limbs were sitting up in the air. For five days, we watched that horse. Nobody came to clean it up. So things just worked a little differently in Puerto Rico. It's like, well, the United States really, they're not coming. Not that we're a king, but they're not really coming. Same kind of idea with the Lone Islands. So the governor there, his name is Gumpus, and there's really been no king of Narnia that's come over to this land for hundreds of years. So they're supposed to send a tribute or a tax to them. They're not really doing that. Um, they're not supposed to have slavery in Narnia. Well, they're kind of doing that. And so when, when the king comes and he sees uh, the guards, uh, Gumpus's guards of the castle, they're like in their sweats playing poker instead of in their color guard at attention. And and the governor's not prepared, and, and he's like, well, I only take appointments between 9 and 10 p.m. on the second Saturday of the month, so if you could just come back then, um, I'd be happy to sit down with you. And the king's like, look, you know, here's what's going on. Maybe you didn't anticipate us coming, but we're here, and we don't like what we see. Your guards aren't in order, your, your, your slave trade, oh, yeah, I can't really take responsibility for that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, you can't fix that? Okay, you're fired. Um, buddy, you, okay, you're the new governor. Ah, we're done with governors. You're the new duke. And like the governor just was not anticipating, not prepared, and loses his job. That's, that's what happens in the story. And I think um, it's a similar thing to like the religious leaders. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they're not prepared. They rattle off that, that where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And it's quite possible that there were rumors about some shepherds that heard about a king, because remember, when the Magi come, it's very likely that he's like 
Jesus is 18 months old or two years old. He's not, the, the Magi didn't show up at the nativity scene, even though, even though some people think they did. They probably weren't there. So the shepherds came, though. The shepherds anticipated very quickly. The angels came, said, la, there's a baby to be born, and they're like, whoa. Okay, so what do we need to do? Go find them. So that's how they prepared. They left their sheep, and they went to go find them. Shepherds were not really allowed into the religious community because they were dirty. They were kind of homeless. They just slept out with sheep, and they were one of the first people to see Jesus. The religious leaders might have heard the rumors of that. Did they take any of those things into account? And now the Magi are coming looking for this king. And they're like, well, yeah, Bethlehem, but they didn't really do anything. See, the Magi did, though. They anticipated and prepared for that day. And, and if they're coming from the east and going into the promised land, there's just a whole lot of desert. So that would have taken a huge sacrifice and a lot of preparation. But, but when they get there, look what it says. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child was and saw his mother Mary, and they bowed down to this toddler, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, which would have been a gift for a king, and frankincense and myrrh. They're not even Jewish. They might not even be religious. But they anticipated and they prepared and they got to be one of the few people to to understand Jesus for who he really was. The shepherds, who were not considered very religious, got to be one of the few people to anticipate and prepare and have joy and see Jesus for who he truly was. It says they they had rejoicing, they had great joy, they bowed down, they worshipped. Joy. From the other accounts, we see that Mary was told about Jesus and she anticipated and prepared. She went and stayed with her, her cousin who was also pregnant for three to six months and she prepared and that she was so filled with joy that she sang about this coming king. When you think about your own life and this idea of anticipation and preparation, I mean, for Christmas, since we're in that season, does it equal joy? Are you filled with a joy that's unexplainable, filled with a joy not of your own making, but from God? This anticipation of the season plus the preparation of the sequence, it really, it equals joy. Think about that and how it plays out in your life. But even more than that, what Christmas represents. Do I anticipate the coming of Jesus? I'm not saying like exactly how it happens and we all have to agree on how it happens, but he will return. Do we anticipate that? And do we prepare for that? When he comes back, will he see us filled with joy? Or will he see us kind of like that governor? Or kind of like someone who didn't prepare for their final exam? It matters how we live today. We need to use and and ask God for his strength to have this anticipation and preparation 
that, that comes from us that we need his power to do, to have and receive that feeling of joy. The religious leaders knew and didn't do anything about it. Herod really cared about making a name for himself and not really letting the king, the coming king of the universe invade his life. And the, the religious, or the, the people of Jerusalem, they were, I think they were just satisfied with that okayness, that false peace. Really saying, the absence of conflict is, is enough. I don't really need joy. So what does that mean for you today? For, for me, it means that as I prepare for Christmas, I can't get lost in, in the season and in the joy that I want to give to others. I have to remember this, this preparation of, you know what, Jesus could come back tomorrow. He could come back, and, and what would he say to me? Would he say, I love you, you're my son, well done, you treated people well, you, you loved me, you accepted my, my love, my sacrifice, you, you repented of your sins, you turned away from your sin, and you tried to live rightly. That's what I need to remember. What is it for you? As we go back into a, a response of worship, let us pray. God, I, I'm just humbled that these, these men who weren't even Jews really didn't understand you in the way that your people did. Sought you. They anticipated you. They prepared for you. God, it's very likely that they even received and understood this idea of Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus, the one who saves them from themselves, them from their sin. It's very likely that they could have believed in all the sense of the word. But they absolutely had a response of worship and joy. And I pray that for our lives. I pray that for each person here. Even in situations that seem dark, God, especially in situations where, where joy is just absent. God, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with just an absence of conflict, but that they, we would want your feeling and your peace to come through in our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us today what it means to anticipate and to prepare. And fill us with your joy. In Jesus' name.